Have you ever wondered about what it was like in the garden? We really have little insight in how Adam and Eve lived before they fell. We know historically and through contemporary actions how people have lived since the fall. Humans can quickly become tribal. This tribal impulse deepened after Babel. Before long, people were scattered geographically, scattered socially. They drew boundaries. They built walls and barriers. Social interaction pretty much stifled. The world in which we live is an heir to these actions and decisions because sin always separates what should be together. But God desires something different. He came not only to reconcile the world to himself, but also to reconcile people to people. The idea of a society that includes and embraces and benefits all people, that's not a contemporary ideal, and it's not born out of postmodern thinking or cultural enlightenment or political correctness. The kingdom of God was designed to personify this very ideal. God's plan has always been to ultimately bless all nations and restore all of them to him. In several instances in Genesis, God gave Abraham promises for the Jewish people, but his promises culminated with a promise that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's seed. The 147th Psalm praises God for building up Jerusalem and bringing the people of Israel together. But verse 20 of that selfsame Psalm acknowledges that God had not dealt with any other nation in this way, and no other nation knew the judgments of God like Israel knew. In this context, judgment is to be understood as ordinances or laws which reflects the place of privilege and relationship Israel enjoyed because of the covenant with God that largely excluded everybody else. Because of the sins of God's people throughout the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was not the universal body it was prophesied and destined to become. But it would be. Isaiah 42 brings hope in the midst of their seeming hopelessness. God promised the Messiah would bring forth judgment or laws to the Gentiles. What was once only available to a select few would one day be available to all. The Messiah of the seed of Abraham is the one of whom the writer of Hebrews wrote, He is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. Through Jesus, all humanity would be reconciled and welcomed into the kingdom of God. Praise God for that. And the lasting portrait of this kingdom is found in Revelation 7 verse 9. When John wrote, after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. This is what the people of God are destined to one day on that beautiful day to become. And we're going to hear more about that and how that happened right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful fall week. This is the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast, and I'm LJ Harry, your host, and today we are listening to an episode titled, In Every Nation, and it stems from Acts chapter 10, verse 35, one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts, and that's our focus verse, Acts 10, verse 35, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with God. 
God pushed to open the doors of the church to the Gentile world by giving two devout men a series of visions. In Acts 10, Luke introduced us to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Luke described him as generous, God-fearing, and prayerful. That's a great way to start. And then, oh, he's a Gentile. Oh, sorry, Cornelius. Not for you. But it would be. God sent an angel to tell Cornelius his prayers and generosity stood as a memorial before God. And then the angel instructed him to send men to Joppa to invite the apostle Peter to Caesarea. Cornelius was assured Peter would come to Caesarea to tell him what he needed to do in order to draw closer to God. And God still needed to prepare Peter's heart through another vision. While he was up on the rooftop dreaming of turkey legs, he fell into a trance and he saw a vision of heaven open. A sheet appeared to be descending down to earth. And on the sheet were a variety of animals, reptiles, birds. And suddenly a voice commanded Peter to get up, kill, and eat these animals. Peter was appalled. He was aghast, nonplussed, flummoxed. He responded, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice responded, perhaps more sternly this time, What God hath cleansed, that call now thou common. This exchange happened three times, impressing on Peter the intention, the gravity of this vision. Peter relentlessly followed God. His obedience to God, even in the face of persecution, is well documented in Scripture. In Acts chapter 5, Peter was thrown into prison by the high priest and the Sadducees just for preaching the gospel. An angel opened the prison doors and commanded Peter to return to the same temple and preach the same gospel to the same people in the same place. When the religious authorities learned Peter was preaching again, they confronted him again for his disobedience. And under the very real threat of death, He responded, we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5, verse 29. But in Peter's vision, he knew he was speaking to a voice from heaven. He even acknowledged the voice as Lord. But Peter told the Lord he could not obey his commandment because it was contrary to what he had always done. Peter struggled largely because his customs, his culture, his beliefs made him resistant to obeying the voice of God. Here's an interesting question. Have you ever received clear instructions from God, but you resisted obeying? If so, what created that very real struggle within you? We're inundated by voices that may influence our thoughts and our actions. Some of those voices are internal. We all live with a residue of what we may have been exposed to in our past. What we have heard about people of other cultures that might be our presumptions, maybe negative experiences that tarnish our impression of entire groups of people or embedded cultural stereotypes might have some measure of an impact on the way we look at others. Yet some voices are external. We live in a time of unprecedented information and misinformation and exposure to both. Secular, sometimes religious voices have a vested interest in dividing and decaying our society. And the devil has always used that division as a primary tactic. He understands that any division within the church body will thwart its progress, so he will use every opportunity and avenue to foster that division, which is why we must be committed to hearing and obeying the voice of God and blocking out every contrary voice. Let's ask this. What does God say about my neighbor? How does God see my neighbor? God's will is that none would perish, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. His will is that his church would reach all people with his gospel. That is central to his and should be our purpose. 
In each of the gospel's renderings of what we call the Great Commission, the writers proclaim that Jesus called them to go to all nations or all of creation. The New Testament church was designed to fulfill God's timeless will. Peter preached that the Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh, Acts 2, verse 17. But God had to address those barriers and prepare his people, even Simon Peter, to overcome those barriers and to begin the process of becoming the church God desired to build. The church today does not address these issues just so we can be culturally or politically correct, but we do so to fulfill the commission and to do the will of God. Ultimately, though, thankfully, Peter was obedient to God. As he still pondered the meaning of this vision of killing and eating all these unclean and common animals, Cornelius' men arrived all the way from Caesarea, and they arrived where Peter was staying. And the Spirit of God told Peter that three men had arrived, and he should not hesitate to go with them because God had sent them. And Peter obediently invited them into the house. The very next day, the Apostle Peter and some other Jewish believers traveled with Cornelius' delegation to Caesarea. And when they arrived, they discovered Cornelius had gathered a large group of family and friends just to hear the preacher. Peter acknowledged, eh, it's not real customary for a Jew like me to visit a Gentile like you. But he testified that God had told him not to call any man common or unclean, and that included Cornelius and all the Gentiles. Then Cornelius told Peter about his own vision and how God had heard his prayers. God heard the prayer of Cornelius, a Gentile, not just a Gentile, a Gentile Roman, centurion, soldier. And that surprised Peter. But when he realized God appeared to Cornelius during his time of prayer and fasting, Peter received a revelation that would shape his ministry for the rest of his life. He said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, Acts 10 verses 34 to 35. Now that statement seems obvious to us, but that was a radical message that defied all conventional and cultural custom, wisdom, and tradition Peter had ever been taught. But Peter should have realized this in Acts 2 as he declared the plan of God for the New Testament church. But it appears the reality of this universal gospel message, it pierced all cultural barriers and prejudice Peter had while he stood in the home of a Gentile Roman centurion. And just then, Peter understood the eternal true impact of the words he himself spoke in Acts 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Beyond receiving the Holy Spirit, it's sobering to realize Peter needed some additional edification to overcome his prejudicial, traditional, and cultural biases. Peter spoke the will of God, but he still had to be taught how to live the will of God. That probably relates to all of us. It's easy to know and speak the will of God without it allowing to penetrate our minds and transform how we live. Sociologists use the term manifest function, which is defined as the anticipated and intended goals of an action or a social structure. In other words, the reason something is done. The church has a manifest function. We cannot afford to allow it to be replaced by any unintended functions, no matter how noble they might be. We are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. Like Peter, our mission is to tell the gospel to everyone. The commission of the New Testament church is still our commission. Our unchanging purpose is still to glorify God 
and spread the gospel to all people. Here's another question. Who are some of the people God has placed in your life for you to reach with the gospel? And what can you do this week to reach them? Making God's vision for his church a reality, it was not easy. As more Gentiles were converted, certain cultural frictions manifested. Some of the Jews were known as Judaizers, contended these converts had to be circumcised and adhere to the law of Moses. You want to be a good Christian? Great. First, you have to be a good Jew. And because of their ingrained tradition and culture, it was difficult for them to accept that anybody could enter in a covenant with God without observing the law. And Paul and Barnabas fiercely disputed this teaching in the New Testament church in several books. Paul, Barnabas, and the others, they traveled to Jerusalem to resolve this tension with the apostles and the elders there. Sometimes we call this meeting the Jerusalem Council or the Apostolic Council. As far as we can tell, it's the first church business meeting of the New Testament church. Passionate opinions on both sides quickly made the council contentious. And Peter, probably to the surprise of some, began to share his testimony. He reminded them that God had chosen him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Ooh, that's a dirty word for them. But God, who knows the heart, confirmed he accepted the Gentiles by filling them with the very same Holy Spirit as he filled the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Peter's testimony proved God placed no difference, drew no line between Jew and Gentile. The Gentile salvation was just as complete as the Jews. The Gentiles didn't get some kind of Holy Spirit zero just for the Gentiles, whereas the Jews got the real thing. No, they got the same Holy Spirit as the Jews. And soon the people were willing to listen to Barnabas and Paul as they testified of the great work God was doing among other Gentiles in the city of Antioch. And James followed with their testimony and reminded the council that Peter's testimony agreed with the words of Amos and other prophets. James even quoted God's word through the prophets. As he quoted, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. That's Acts 15 verses 16 through 17 quoting from the Old Testament prophet Amos. This inclusive message was not new to the New Testament church. The Jews were well aware of the prophecies God would include the Gentiles in his plan. They were well aware of the words spoken at the birth of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, but they struggled with how that looked in daily life. Thankfully, some of the believers courageously accepted the plan of God and withstood culture, tradition, and wrong thinking in the church whenever it was necessary. How can the Jerusalem Council serve as a template for resolving conflict among believers? A culture can be a beautiful thing. We can celebrate and express the diversity of our cultures and cultural experiences, but no culture is universal or timeless. No culture is common to every person at any point in time, and no culture is changeless over time which creates the possibility for culture to become a barrier that prevents people from truly connecting with each other. But the gospel does just the opposite. Cultural cannot be universal and timeless, but the gospel, it is. It must be common to every person, anywhere, at any time, and it cannot change over time and space. Just as culture can potentially divide, the gospel can always unite. It's imperative we do not confuse culture and the gospel. The culture 
divides humanity, but the gospel unites humanity. We embrace every culture, but we preach a gospel that is not driven by culture or traditional influence. It transcends culture. The message of the death, the burial, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the new birth available because of it is a message that will work for any and all, from any and all places and any and all cultures. As the apostles declared in Acts 15, we need to embrace anyone God embraces and love all who were born into God's kingdom, regardless of ethnicity, background, social status, or any other distinction. All of us have become heirs, fellow heirs, of the promises of Almighty God. Another question, in what ways could culture potentially impair somebody's ability to receive or share the gospel? While you ponder that, let's wrap this up. Unity is one of the most fundamental requirements for the New Testament church to become what God intended the church to be. Unity has a multifaceted definition. The obvious root word is unit, no surprise there, which speaks of being single as well as being complete. Unity speaks to the state or quality of being one and being whole. The goal of unity is to be one, to be everything we're meant to be, and to have everything we're meant to have. Unity does not come easily to human nature because it requires selflessness and sacrifice. Oh, to some, that's a dirty word. It requires empathy and bearing with one another in love. It obviously does not come easy because Paul had to charge us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4, verse 3. And endeavoring means try hard, do your utmost for his highest. Unity is hard work, but it's worthwhile work. Paul knew the New Testament church had a lot to overcome. There were freedmen and there were slaves. There were Jews and there were Gentiles, male and female. Even those who formerly persecuted and killed Christians were coming together to form one glorious body of believers, the church. In that passage, Paul gave us the basis for our unity. It is all based on the Spirit of God. We endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 6. Or some would say, and in all y'all. This unity is of the spirit, and the spirit makes it possible. It's not a simple unity of our spirits. It's a unity we can never manufacture on our own. Through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome our human nature in any blockades to this true unity. So during All Nations Sunday in churches all over the world, musicians helped lead congregations in worship. Organs, pianos, keyboards, horns, guitars, other stringed instruments assembled in perfect harmony. Harmony will not be achieved because all the musicians came together and attempted to be tuned to each other. On the contrary, harmony is achieved because all the instruments are tuned to a common standard, a master tuner. The call of our hour is to have the mind of Christ be tuned to him and not allow any traditional or cultural barriers to jeopardize the harmony of the kingdom of God. As we look to Jesus and draw near to him, we will draw near to our brothers and sisters. Because of the spirit of God that lives in us, we can love and embrace anyone and everyone from anywhere and everywhere. And this is a good time to pray for God to help us to love and share the gospel with all people. And let's pray for God to help our church, local church, to be as multicultural as the community 
in which the church has been placed. Lord Jesus, today help us to share the gospel with all people, no matter who they are, where they're from, no matter what cultural biases or barriers there might have been in the past. Help us to share the gospel with all people, people who look like us, live like us, don't look like us, don't live like us. Help us to share the gospel with all people, hungry people who want to know you and have a relationship with you, Jesus. Lead us to people today, no matter who they are. And help us, Lord, I pray, in each individual church all around the world to be as multicultural as the community in which you have placed the church. Help us, Lord, I pray, here locally in Mount Vernon. I want to be as multicultural as our community. I pray that the church would reflect the culture of our community. Let it happen, Lord, in churches all across our world, all across our land. I pray let it happen all for your glory. Tear down those biases and and stereotypes and racism and prejudices and bring the church together and let the world see unity and harmony where the world has tried to foster division. I pray let it be a testimony of the glory and the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Be sure to click subscribe and share, and you'll never miss an episode, neither will any of your friends. Join us every week for the God's Word for Life companion podcast. Also, visit us at PentecostalPublishing.com. You'll find some great resources there. Bibles, Bible studies, music, inspirational books, devotional books, commentaries. Also, a couple great resources that will help to augment this episode One is called Planting a Multicultural Church by Missionary Daniel Scott. The other one is called Ministering in a Multicultural World by Dr. David K. Bernard and Don Hanscom Sr. Those links are in your show notes. Those resources are available at PentecostalPublishing.com and then just search for Multicultural. Thanks so much for making God's Word for Life a part of your devotional walk and life with Jesus. We're still taking our survey. Would you rather have the God's Word for Life Companion podcast, would you rather have it air before the Sunday the lesson is scheduled to be taught or after as more of a recap? Are you looking for more preview? Are you looking for more recap? Let us know. Go to God's Word for Life on Facebook and send a either a comment or a message to us, and we will continue to gather those survey results and then make our decision on when the God's Word for Life Companion podcast airs to make it as effective and efficient for us as possible. And for you, of course, as teacher and student. Next week, we wrap up our series, Jesus is Lord, with a story right out of Mark chapter 5. And that story is called, Your Faith Has Made You Whole. I'm looking forward to sharing that episode with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.